everybody. And after some technical shenanigans behind the scenes that I won't go into now, but but uh, it's basically meant it's taken us ages to get this thing up and running. But we are now up and running. So welcome to another one of our financial well-being podcasts, where I get together and pretend I know stuff about money, but then I talk to other people who do know stuff about money, and we all learn things together. And who are those people? Chris Budd, who are you? Who are you? Uh, morning, everybody. Uh, David, I love the way that you've managed to make it look like it was all of us that had technical issues, not just you. <laughs> well, they were joint technical issues experienced by all of us emanating from me. <laughs> uh, who am I? Uh, I am Chris Bard. I wrote the Financial Wellbeing book, founder of Ovation Finance Limited, who kindly paid for the recording of this. And I'm also someone who's just coming to the end of writing a second book about money and happiness, actually. So my brain is full of this stuff at the minute. And I'm got some really exciting ideas to share with people excellent well we look forward to those and i think somewhere lurking just off my screen i can't see him but i know he's there i sense his financial well-being presence tom morris hi everybody yeah this feels very weird it being recorded video wise so you actually get to see me um you poor things yeah tom morris uh director and chartered financial planner uh, with a company called Ovation Finance, which you should have heard of because we've mentioned them enough on this podcast, um, and they kindly support all of this. Yeah, that's me. Fantastic. And also, I think we have to mention, we have mentioned many times in the past, the silent partner in this uh, enterprise, Tammy Devonald, our producer, the one that actually does all of the hard work while we waffle about. And she's actually here. So, Tammy, I know you're on mute. Unmute yourself and say hello. Introduce <laughs> yourself to the lovely listeners. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why she's in the background. Because <laughs> she's lovely, she's capable, she's hardworking, but she's terribly shy. Terribly she's shy. the what she is the one with the real talent. Uh, that's true, that's true. And I think we need to mention that. Us, so, <laughs> right. That's got the waffling out of the way. Uh what's on today's podcast, Chris? Uh, well, today, David, I am going to be sharing the answer to the question why we are actually all so rubbish with money. Because we are rubbish with money, because that's how we're wired. Um, so if anybody's ever thought to themselves, why can't I get better at this thing called money? We're going to give them the answers. And of course, in doing so, give things that you can do to get better. Well, that's very interesting. That that assertion, that, that knowledge, that realisation that we are all rubbish at money is, of course, it has to be true. Otherwise, people like you two wouldn't exist. You wouldn't have jobs if you weren't there to tell us how we can be better with our money. Exactly so. <laughs> Just not sure what else to say to that, other than to completely well, agree with you. Our collective uselessness gives you all work, and I think we should all be glad about that. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> However, we are here to inform and entertain, but before we do that, I think we need to go to one of our regular features, No Shizzle Sherlock, in which we listen to some accepted words of wisdom about investing and wonder whether this is indeed the sort of advice that every investor should follow or whether it is, in fact, as plain as a large area of flat land with few trees. So, Chris, what's today's investment wisdom? The, one of the things I love about this this little uh, this little slot that we have is that I get to just throw a curveball at Tomo. Because <laughs> Tomo's our investment man, among many other things. And I can just put in a line and, he, and then just hand it to him to comment. It's great. I love it. So there's an American investor called Robert Arnott. And the quote that we're going to ask Tomo's opinion on today is, 
in investing, what is comfortable is rarely profitable. Well, just before Tom comes in, I think that's very interesting because that definitely rings true with me. Ideally, we'd all like to be able to sit down and go, oh, do you know what? I've just invested all my money there and I don't even need to think about it. And oh, look, here we are. Six months later, I'm a rich man. Um, Sometimes that works. My experience with uh, Avation looking after my finances means that often that is the case, but not always. And sometimes we like a little bit of a free song, I believe. I think we like a little bit of a danger. And when I sat down with Tomo to assess my my attitude to risk in terms of my investing, I didn't want to go for just plain sailing all the time. I wanted there to be a little bit of danger. I wanted there to be a little bit of a, a threat to my financial well-being in a way. Because that way, the risks are greater, but so are the rewards. That's my view anyway. I think that's very true. That risk-reward is, is at the heart of a lot of this stuff. My one comment on this is that um, there is a suggestion that you have to be uncomfortable if you're going to invest. And I don't think that's necessarily the case. It depends on your circumstances. Um, but anyway, let's not, let's not us get in the way of, of, the, uh, of the expert, eh? What do you reckon, Tomo? that I'm not an expert no um um, this is an interesting one it's a very catch-all that I think misses the point slightly that everybody is different and their comfort levels are very different and the way they react to things are very different risk investing uh comfortable what what we're really talking about there is somebody's ability to see things fluctuate in value and it's a, Neil Bajer talked about this before, that on average, we as human beings feel losses three times more than we feel gains. So that's something we need to be aware of. But if you never want to see anything drop in value, and I'm thinking very much about investing here, the only place you can go and hide your money is in cash. Well, that is long term, a bit of a disaster, actually, because inflation, as we all know at the moment, if you're listening to this, around the time that this is being recorded, it's hovering around 10%. So we know full well that your cash that's earning very little in the bank is actually reducing in value, but you feel comfortable because you're not actually seeing the pounds and pens drop. But how do we actually say, okay, we can bring some comfort to invest in, but we can't We can make it more comfortable, but we can't make it completely comfortable, I think is the way I would say this. But the way we can do that is invest to a plan. If you actually have a plan in place as to why you are investing, you're going to feel far more comfortable with seeing the fluctuations that come along. If you diversify as much as possible, means that the risk of it all going pop is reduced significantly. And also, if we look at things with a longer term gaze, then actually short term things fluctuate in value. Longer term, if you're investing, you tend to see that there is growth to be had. So I'm just sort of bringing some principles to this because the question is in investing, what is comfortable is rarely profitable. There's some truth in that, but I think we can bring certain things in that make it more comfortable. Excellent. So wise isn't he he's, he's, he's very wise he's very wise but he's kind of sitting on the fence a little bit there yeah. I, sus- uh, <laughs> I sense we all are so so is it you know is it no shizzle sherlock is it uh not very good advice at all or is it somewhere in the middle come on Tomo, you've got to give us a definitive answer well I, th- I think it's i think it's wise i think what he's saying is true if you're investing it 
what is comfortable is rarely profitable. You need to be able to be comfortable with some things that are going to feel a little bit, you're going to feel some discomfort in order to have longer term gains. There's no such thing as a free lunch when it comes to getting investment growth that is beyond what you do if you stuck it in the bank or what you'd have if you stuck so, it in the bank. So we need to be uncomfortable in order to be comfortable. That's what you're saying. David, I'm going to be very disappointed if you don't take that cue of no such thing as a free lunch to introduce the next segment. <laughs> <laughs> well, talking of no such thing as a free lunch, that's brilliantly done. Brilliantly done. Let's move on to the next section. Our pop, most popular feature, buy a country mile, Titus Tomo. And uh, again, every so often, I don't do it in every podcast, but every so often I like to remind people where the legend Titus Tomo was born. He was born in a restaurant somewhere in Bristol five or six years ago now, good, some good time ago, where he took uh, Chris and another colleague out to lunch and said, have whatever you want, guys, as long as it's the chicken. Uh, they had the chicken. They all enjoyed it. It was a lovely meal. It turned out that Tomo had a voucher and therefore he was able to pay for everything with the voucher no money changed hands at all and, and that's how we uh, learned that that tomo was always on the lookout for a way of uh, not spending money and that's why in every single podcast since then he's given us a tight ass tomo tip but before he gives us today's chris have you got one well i've got a few actually a few quickies um i've got uh, some from a website called skintdad.co.uk and they just made me laugh so i've got five they're real quickies and i don't think anybody will ever actually do any of these but i just thought they were really funny so first of all brush your teeth while showering to cut down on water use <laughs> number two rub pine needles under your armpits instead of using deodorant <laughs> Um, number three, when you go out, save on your electricity bills by turning your doorbell off as you won't be hearing it anyway. Which actually makes a lot of sense, I think, that one. Uh, number four, go to the IMDB website, read up on the film to find out what happens so you don't need to pay to go to the cinema. <laughs> and then finally, my personal favourite, don't buy binoculars, just stand closer to the thing you want to see. Excellent. Good advice there. Now, I'm just going to take one of those and turn into something a little bit more serious, still slightly mm. flippant. Um, this whole notion about, you said, you know, switch your doorbell off when you go out. Well, we're also consumed now with our energy consumption. We're all really concerned about, you know, switching things off and the cost of everything shooting up all over the place. Well, I've now got an app that tells me how much I'm using uh, in terms of electricity and gas on, a, on an hourly basis. And I can look at my phone and I can look at yesterday and go, okay, I use that much then, that much then. And you therefore get to learn, oh, what were we doing then? Okay, we were cooking then. So that's why it's so up. And it's very interesting. It's the times when usage goes right off is the time when we're not in. So the key to successful energy usage is just don't be in your house at all. <laughs> out of the house all of the time. Switch everything off and go out and you'll save yourselves a fortune. Right, uh, Tomo, can you top that? Well, I'll let you be the judge of this. Um, I want to bring back some one that I mentioned previously and bring in a new one. And it all centres around, at the time of recording this, uh, last week I came back from um, a lovely couple of weeks off. And one of those weeks, I got on the plane for the first time since COVID and took my family away to... Croatia, lovely country, beautiful. Um, but some of you may remember, long-time listeners, that there was a particular tip that I took advantage of. 
and that was not to spray any of my own aftershave before I left the door. Went through duty free, found the aftershave I liked, used that instead. <laughs> so you didn't buy any, you just used the free sample? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, I, and I'm trying to remind myself, we might have talked about, I know I talked about this before. Yeah, episode 51, I think it was. I talked about this being a tip and it's been the first time in a while I've been able to use it. So that was, uh, yeah, that was my rather, rather uh, silly one. But I've actually got a really sensible one to go with it as well. Hang on. And this does, is really does that useful. work with roll-on deodorant? Does that work with oh. roll-on deodorants as well? Can you get those on duty free? <laughs> Can you imagine that? A sample roll-on deodorant. <laughs> And, and especially people who've just been travelling as well. You know, oh. Yeah, oh, lovely. <laughs> <laughs> oh, anyway, there is my there's my um, my my throwback to a, a previous tight ass Tomo tip. But this one, I think, is really useful. I think some people could get a lot of use out of this next one. So I said I took a couple of weeks off. Had a week in Devon and a week in 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 uh, Croatia and on both occasions we went with another family which was fantastic but what tends to happen is is when you go away with another family you somebody might buy a round of coffee some, somebody might say oh I'll cover this this um shopping bill I'll cover this meal out rather than splitting everything up at the time and you try and keep a track of who spent what and then you split it at the end of the at the end of the trip a bit like a kitty approach I guess but I was introduced to an app um a friend, uh, a friend of mine and a friend of Chris's, Rich Ellis, said, why don't you try an app called Splitwise? All one word, Splitwise. And it is fantastic. You can set it up, put it on your phone, invite a friend into a, a group, name it the Croatia trip. And each time that you spend or, your, uh, or the other person spends money, you get to put in there who paid for it and how should it be split. So a lot of the time I put, right, I've just spent £70 on the shopping and split it 50-50. And what it does is it has this running total. Interestingly enough, the first week we went away, the amount that I owed the other family was £2.50. So it just goes to show how these things even out. But it's fantastic. And it just means that it takes all the hassle away from worrying about who paid for what. Just do it every time you paid for something, pop it in. It's fair. Everybody's happy. Split-wise. Highly recommend for those of you who are trying to budget with others. That sounds brilliant. Do you know what? I've just come back from, uh, well, we have a, like a family house down in Cornwall and uh, my partner and I went down there just for the weekend. But other members of the family had been there for two weeks. So people were coming and going all the time. And my sister-in-law kept a running tab of what people had spent. And then at the end, recently, she sent us all a bill, proportionate bill based on how long we'd been there and what money we'd put in. Uh, so very much about what you said, but I think this uh, this app would be, would have been absolutely fantastic. So I'm going to look that one up. Cheers, Tom. Thank you very much. A great tight ass tip that one. Right. Okay. Enough of that. Enough of uh, other people's armpits. <laughs> Let's get on with today's topic. <laughs> Why are we rubbish with money? Now I have to say, um, am I rubbish with money? I think I think I have it within me to be rubbish with money, and also. Um, if I may um, uh, heap out a little bit of praise here on Chris and Tomo, since I became a client of Ovation Finance, I'm definitely a lot less rubbish with money, partly because I listen to the advice that I get uh, from Tomo, 
uh, also since I've been involved in this podcast as well, I've learned an awful lot about money. I've learned a lot about my behaviours around money. Um, and, and I think I've actually listened to some of them and put them into practice. Um, however, as we discussed right at the very start of this uh, podcast, generally speaking, I think we are all uh, a little bit uh, rubbish with money. Chris? And we could, let's, let's just say we could always be a bit better. You know, mm. even if we're not rubbish, we can always be a bit better, can't we? So I've mentioned before, I'm finishing off uh, writing another book about money and happiness, kind of like a financial well-being book too. And I've been looking at a lot of different aspects of our relationship to money, going back through history, looking for all the reasons why we aren't very good with money. And as I was doing this, I had a bit of a revelation, something that brings together all of these different aspects of money to one explanation. So I'd like to share this new theory of mine with you both and obviously with our listeners. Going to need to do a, bit, a little bit of recapping of stuff that we've covered in previous podcasts. So to start off with, let's just remind ourselves of self-determination theory. Now, I believe this is the psychological explanation for what motivates us to do things. Indeed, it is. Eloquently put, as always. Uh, if you want to remind yourself, we did a full explanation episode of this, and that was number 77. So we have all the detail on what we're going to talk about now. To give you a quick summary, um, self-determination means uh, theory says that in order to be motivated to do something, three things need to be in place, competence, autonomy and relatedness. So I'm guessing competence is fairly obvious. It means being able to do the thing in question. Yeah, that's right. That's absolutely right. And autonomy means being allowed to do it, having the feeling that you're in control. And relatedness means seeing how the thing that you want to do is going to affect other people. So in other words, understanding its purpose. And if those three things are in place, we will be motivated to do things. OK, so being able, being allowed and understanding. So if we don't have these things, then we're not going to be motivated to do something. Exactly. Although it's not binary, it's uh, not on and off. The more we have of those three things, the more motivated we're likely to be. Right. OK, consider me and our listeners hopefully caught up now on self-determination theory. So what's the next part, Chris, of your big theory? <laughs> um, <laughs> Chris, what's the big idea? <laughs> it's the fact that our brains are not wired to make good financial decisions. Yeah, and... and Again, long-time listeners would have noticed that we've spoken about this before. We had Greg Davies talking about this in Podcast 38, and it's brilliant on this. Um, plus several podcasts we've had with Neil Beige. If we think about recently, episode 83, where he talked about social comparison being something that, that is quite tricky for us. So listeners may be familiar with um, something called System 1 and System 2 thinking. That when we use financial, sorry, when we make financial decisions, we should use what is called system two, which means the system we use when we make thoughtful, considered decisions. But actually, we use system one, gut decisions, which come from a different part of our brains. Um, another way of putting this is that we use fight or flight type decision making when it comes to money, which are decisions driven by fear. We therefore cannot have competence when it comes to money decisions because we're using system one fight or flight type decisions when it comes to money. Uh -huh. Now, I think I see where this is going. So 
we're going to be demonstrating why we don't have the three parts of self-determination theory, which is why we're not very good with money. You see, that's why you get the big bucks, David, isn't it? Way ahead of me. Well, they're not <laughs> that, that big, actually, but they're bucks. <laughs> Do you know, it gets me thinking on this topic of competence. We don't have much in the way of financial education in schools. You know, no one teach you, teaches you how to be a parent and no one teaches you how to be good with money. So that must be another reason why we don't have competence. Yeah, yeah. And, and then there's the fact that we, we haven't needed to think about money, certainly not financial planning in long term until extremely recently. Um, financial planning is just not something we've ever needed to do. Well, I guess historically, you know, going back hundreds of years, uh, not that many people even lived beyond working age. Well, let's be honest, if you were even lucky enough to live that old, um, you probably still shared a home with your family who would then take care of you. If you go back through most of human history, then that's absolutely the case. And even when you move into the last couple of centuries and with the advent of capitalism, retirement was very often then taken care of uh, for us by our employers. So you mean company pension schemes? Yeah, exactly. The, the first company pension scheme actually started in the middle of the 19th century. State pension schemes um, only came in in the UK just after the Second World War. So we still didn't need to worry about income once we stopped working because the state or an employer would provide. So when did that begin to change? Um, like most things financial in this country, a big moment uh, must have been when Margaret Thatcher introduced personal pensions in the 1980s you know i'm far too young to remember that so i'm, I'm kind of just yeah obviously obviously you are well and, and those of us that uh, do remember the witch hag that was thatcher <laughs> well, 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 david yeah. david david we're trying to be i'm too young to even have too much of a care for all of this topic but if all right, then, that, back, that, you're talking to more than just one section of society david let me put this, let me put right this in a out there. I've just, I've just given David a slap on the wrist for you. <laughs> let me just put that in a different way then. Margaret Thatcher certainly revolutionised the way in which we looked at society uh, and the way in which we looked at personal choices that we made. The witch hag. Uh, right. Um, <laughs> Uh, yes, yeah, so look, the personal pension gave the ability for individuals to manage their own pension investments. Yeah, or another way of putting that could be that it handed responsibility to individuals, as, as Mrs. Thatcher so famously said, there is no such thing as society. Uh, she put the onus on people taking responsibility for their own things, which I kind of get, but then I would argue at the same time landed us in the collective mess that we're in now. But that's for another podcast. <laughs> and probably not this particular <laughs> podcast. Um, but, uh, but but it's true. It, it it gave responsibility to us to manage our own our, our own money. But that's a, really the first time that that had happened throughout human history. So some company pension schemes started to also do a similar shift. Um, they moved from what's called defined benefit, then called final salary schemes, to defined contribution. That also started a shift of responsibility from the employer to the employee. And then the other big thing that happened was in 1991, Robert Maxwell fell off his boat. Yes, Captain Bob. Right. So for the benefit of uh, Tomo and our other younger listeners, uh, he was, among many other things, the owner of the Mirror newspaper group. And when he drowned, 
uh, they discovered that he'd been pilfering the Mirror Group company pension scheme, leaving many pensioners without their retirement income. Now, all, all of this led to the government bringing lots of protection and rules to stop this happening again, which is great. And it's still built in now and people have protections, but it did bring with it unintended consequences. One of them being that most of those final salary pension schemes were shut down. So there are hardly any of those schemes left now, certainly in the private sector, um, in the in the uh, public sector, if you're a civil servant, teacher, nurse, police, etc. You can still get those pretty gold plated pension schemes. But uh, most people now don't have access to that pension scheme. So for most people, we now have to manage our own investment uh, funds and our pension. And this is a really, really big reason why we don't have competence with financial planning aspect of money. We haven't had to do it before throughout history. Literally, if you think of the entire human history, only in the last few decades have most people been expected to fund for their own retirement. Oh, that's really interesting. I've never seen it in that way before. So we're not used to having to do it. We've, we've no experience of doing it and we've no education uh, in doing it. But I guess with life expectancy getting older and older, uh, it's becoming more and more important that we do do it. And it's hardly surprising uh, that we don't have competence with that money. So what about autonomy then and being allowed to get on to do it? There's a couple of things here. Lack of education and competence uh, contributes to that feeling that we're not able to deal with it. We're not free to deal with financial matters. Autonomy means that you're left alone to get on with something and, and, and that you have um, agency. That might be a word for it. But if you can't do it, if you've got no education, then you're going to struggle to do that. But there's also the emphasis in life and society and media that money is to be accumulated, that success is money and money is success. As a society, we're taught that we can never have enough money, which means we can never be in control because we're always chasing more. Autonomy, when it comes to money, therefore, is always going to be limited. Now, it was something of, that we try and address in these podcasts as best as possible and get, get the message out there that, you know, we, it's not money isn't about it just being accumulated for the sake of it being accumulated. Yeah. So autonomy is present because we're, we're free to deal with our money if we want to. But it's it's limited, I guess, for that very reason, that, that lack of knowledge that we have. So what about relatedness then, Chris? The issue here, um, this is really interesting, is how difficult it is to think of ourselves in the future tense, to take action now that benefits our future selves. Now, this is really cool. Um, I'm fairly new to this one. Um, it turns out that when we try and picture our future selves, neuroscientists have discovered that we use a different part of the brain than when we think of ourselves now. And the part of the brain that we use when thinking about our future selves is actually the same part that we use when thinking about other people. So we are literally not wired to connect with our future self. Hmm. I, I, I guess this would explain why it's really hard for people to not only create longer term financial plans, but actually stick to them. Um, I think, and this is, I'm going to go with it. It's a shameless plug. You know, this is why we really benefit from third party assistance when it's dealing, when we deal with longer term financial planning. You know, it's having somebody there to hold us to account, to force ourselves to put away money for the benefit of somebody else, i.e. that future person. Given the lack of connection with our future selves, we're therefore going to see relatedness being very low. 
as we have little competence, autonomy or relatedness when it comes to money and financial planning. We're not motivated to do an awful lot about it, in particular, the longer term stuff. That connection with our future selves bit. Uh, we recently, I, I had a message from somebody yesterday who I've known for a long time. And uh, Tomo, who's done an amazing job helping this client. And I'm just going to share it, embarrass Tomo. Because this guy was working uh, high up in a professional services firm, earning a lot of money, highly pressured job, managing partner. And Tomo helped him to see his future self. Um, because you need that third party help, Tom has just mentioned. Um, and he decided he wanted to be a teacher. Actually, that's where he wanted to, to be spending his life and he wasn't happy. And we just had a message from him yesterday. He's just starting his new job as a teacher after about two or three years, I can't, I'm not sure how long, of Tomo working with this guy, helping him work out what his future self might look like and then planning to get there. And he's now there. And I just could not be prouder of the process and of Tomo for helping that client. Brilliant. Well done, Tomo. And there's another thing as well that I'd like to add in at this point when we talk about our future selves. Now, I'll relate this back to me and my recent experiences. So um, I've got a decent pot of money that Avace look after for me and they look after it very well. And uh, over the last few years, I've taken bits bits out here and there to, to fund lifestyle choices. And it's been really quite nice. And then beginning of this year, Tomo said to me, do you know what? I think you should probably just you know leave that alone now. Just leave that alone. Let it build up again a little bit. Uh, and so I have. I've not taken any any more money out. And it has built up. It's built up quite nicely. It took a bit of a nosedive when we had all of the uh, the war in Ukraine, but it's going on quite nicely. But then recently, rather sadly, last week, my father-in-law died. And he'd been ill for a long time. It was not unexpected. But we had spent a lot of time visiting him in the care home that he was in. And also my uh, mother-in-law as well, who's also very ill in the care home. And it's also quite frankly, not, you know, not too far away from the end. And it's when you look at people who you've known as being younger and healthier people, and you see how suddenly they turn into completely different people. And you realise the amount of care and the expense that that care can cost in terms of keeping them protected and happy. And it's certainly made me think now about my pot of money, not just in terms of something I can raid whenever I want to, to have a good time now, I'm thinking, oh, do you know what? I probably need to be keeping as much of that as I possibly can, because sadly, in 20 years' time or whenever, it might be sooner, it might be later, I don't know, there's a very good chance that I will be that old, frail person in a care home, and I'm going to need some money to make me as comfortable as I possibly can. But it's not always easy to project forward in that way. I'm probably... Uh, in a month or two, when this current crisis that we've been going through goes, I'll probably forget all about it. And then next year, we'll go, oh, we want to have that really nice holiday. And I'll go, Tomo, can I take some money out of my pension? And you'll go, yeah, go on then, <laughs> all right. No, I, no, I'll go, we're going to listen to episode 90 and give you the timestamp of your uh, monologue there and then I'll <laughs> that back to you. Thank you. Uh, okay, so it's there on record. <laughs> I'd just like to add in just a another layer to this really briefly you just touch on something that could or could not happen but i think an important part of financial well-being and we talk about it's one of the pillars one of the five pillars is having financial options it's actually sometimes that future self feels quite vague but perhaps just creating financial options for that person feels a far fuzzier and easier way to think about that person because financial options and make a world of difference when you come to that point 
you have choice. Excellent. Well, on this podcast, we don't like to leave people hanging and not have a solution. So I have to therefore ask the inevitable question. We've kind of established that I do my best with money, but ultimately I'm perhaps not that brilliant about it without the advice that you're giving me. So is there anything I can do about it? Good news is yes, lots. In those three areas of competence, autonomy and relatedness, taking the points in turn, financial education, we said, is a reason that people aren't competent. Well, this is why the podcast exists. You know, the very fact that we've got 5,000 per episode listening to this podcast or something, that's going to be helping them to get better with their money. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and I, I will say also, just because he's a friend of the podcast, and I think he's fantastic for helping people educate them on their finances. Um, Pete Matthews' Meaningful Money podcast is excellent as well. So so do go check that out. And I think some Good of you already do. Um, but look, one word of warning here. There's a lot of financial education out there. And it's actually designed perhaps to, to get you to buy more stuff. So keep listening to this podcast. Um, you can listen, listen to Pete's as well. And just bear in mind that with all of this financial education and what we're trying to provide you it's intended to make you happier not just wealthier nice use of our catchphrase there young tomo <laughs> um so another way of gaining competence is as we've just discussed to use a financial advisor but just to build on tomo's point make sure that you engage with someone who's doing financial planning okay cash flow forecasting we've talked about before not just someone who's looking after investments and getting tax advice they're probably doing a very good job, but if you're trying to gain competence from an advisor about your long-term future, you want someone who's going to be not just managing the money now, but somebody who is going to be doing cash flow and, and doing proper financial planning. I think I've got a phrase for this. Is it? It's not, a, it's not going to be a catchphrase, I don't think, but a phrase. We could make it one. <laughs> is it, you want to use an advisor who is advising you, not just your money. Yeah, I think Amen. that's very good. And certainly that's been, you know, and again, I'm going to blow your trumpet now, Tom. Oh, can I say that on the podcast? Um, uh, <laughs> you can as long as you don't make reference to what else it might be. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, this is true. You advise me not about money, but you advise me about, you know, other aspects of my life that impinge on my money. And I think that's it's very important to accept that that relationship between an advisor and a client is is really really important so uh, and what about this autonomy point how can we increase our autonomy when it comes to money well I'd, I'd say the autonomy is already there it's just not enabled giving somebody the tools to use perhaps through a financial advisor who understands financial well-being approach then the person can change their relationship to money it's an awareness thing I think and by becoming more aware that money is your slave, not your master, you will begin to feel more in control and autonomy will result. Oh, yeah, I get that. And so finally, Tomo, relatedness? Yeah, I, I think it's appropriate that a third party is involved in this. You know, using a financial advisor who has training and coaching skills, um, hello, I do, um, can help you connect with your future self. Um, you know, creating that cash flow forecast also helps envisage that future self and that and that future you could have um all of which will have an impact on being able to relate to your financial plans connecting with money to a purpose 
um, living a life with meaning and purpose, using your money and um, and time, of course, to live a life with meaning and purpose is going to help increase relatedness with money. So the, in, the intrinsic motivations we've talked about before on this podcast. Yeah, so we've pulled a lot of things together here to come up at the same time with something that is a little bit new. And I'm liking this new theory of yours, Chris. It explains why people tend to be rubbish with their own money. It hopefully helps you to understand that it's not your fault. And we've actually provided lots of ways to help people get better. We've also discussed uh, reusable deodorants and aftershave, uh, the witch hag that is Thatcher, and lots of other interesting points of view. And I hope we've added a little bit of spice and knowledge to your life. And I hope also that you'll join us uh, the next time on another one of our financial well-being podcasts. If you want to be notified of upcoming podcasts, make sure you click the subscribe button. For more information on the topics discussed in today's podcast and to purchase a copy of the Financial Wellbeing book, please visit www.financialwell-being.co.uk. We'd love to hear your thoughts and ideas on financial well-being. You can send us an email at contact at financialwell-being.co.uk. You can follow us on Twitter at FinWellBeing. Chris is Ovation Chris and David is at Dave underscore Backwell. This has been an Ovation Finance production. Thanks for listening to the Financial Wellbeing Podcast. More interesting than you might think.